I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. By now, you've probably heard a lot of our guests talk about the need for marketers to have a 360-degree view of their customers. But that begs the question, why? What makes up that 360-degree view? And what benefits does having all of this data actually do for your business? It's now no longer just the marketing function. It's the whole enterprise. And this may be academic for those businesses that have gone here, but it's real estate. It's where do I open stores? Where do I close stores? It's merchandising. What products should I sell? How should they be priced? How should they be displayed? All relying on real-time data. What's happened is the CMO's role has become much more central, much more strategic. Jonathan Silver is the CEO of Affinity Solutions, a data-led intelligence platform that uses purchase signals to help marketers make better decisions. Jonathan and his company are putting all that data to good use. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, he explains how. Jonathan dives into what those purchase signals are and how they are helping marketers compile that 360-degree view of their customers' behavior. Plus, he reveals what the next phase of personalization is and how marketers can attack it. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey, marketers. Today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Jonathan, how are you? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Uh, excited to chat about data today and, and how the best marketers are using data uh, and, and everything that you're doing at Affinity Solutions. So how did you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, um, I graduated uh, Wharton undergrad with a degree in entrepreneurial management and uh, a degree in engineering. So I knew I was going to do something related to those two things. Uh, Then I worked for McKinsey, a consulting firm, and I became enamored with data-driven businesses. I loved just the idea of the predictability. Um, There was something once upon a time called direct marketing, which was pre-digital, the ability to um, predict that when you do this particular marketing program, against these audiences uh, with this approach. If you do it once, twice, it'll repeat itself over and over again. That was always very interesting to me. And uh, about uh, mid-2000s, I had an idea of taking uh, to financial institutions that issue credit and debit cards a new business model uh, to engage their cardholders. And that model was get retailers to fund the incentives, which historically have only been funded by banks out of their profit. Get the retailers like Home Depot when the bank's cardholders, Chase, Capital One, Wells Fargo, shop at a given retailer, let the retailer fund it because they're getting benefit out of it. We're driving uh, sales to them. Uh, That OPM, that other people's money model was very appealing, as you can imagine, to uh, banks. And so um, that uh, set us on a journey uh, where we grew to about 3,000 banks providing what the industry called merchant funded rewards or card linked offers. 
And in providing that uh, program, it gave us access to all their data because we, we are, we were and are the system of record to identify whether Jonathan or Ian shopped at Home Depot and is entitled to get something. And in order to ensure that they get rewarded, they had to send us the data for all their cardholders every single day. So today we get 90 million people's worth of data, 90 million consumers every day uh, sent to us representing all the transactions the prior day. And over the years, we were able to convince our financial institution partners to give us the rights of use to create insights and marketing solutions for the retailer and direct and direct to consumer ecosystem. So it's been a really interesting journey. And um, if I link it back to McKinsey and Wharton, uh, it, it seems a little bit circuitous, but um, this is where I landed. And so what's the, what's the size of the company now? How many customers do you have? Uh, what does that look like? Yep. So we have about 110 uh, employees. We have uh, lots of customers. We're very channel centric, uh, but in terms of number of employees, about 105, 110. Uh, we'll do about $50 million of revenue this year and we're growing pretty fast. You know, obviously this, you know, this solution you have affects marketers, you have marketing folks, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that uh, in a little bit here. But what are the types of insights that that those folks could see from from what you're doing? Well, so this last year has been really interesting. Um, obviously, not only has it been a complete change in everyone's behavior, but it's given a lot of people like me a chance to step back and look uh, introspectively, look inward at what what we're doing with all this data. And uh, we, we kind of clarified our mission and vision. Our mission is to help businesses build deeper relationships with consumers so they can uh, retain and grow their market share, become healthier companies. That's obviously never been more important during this pandemic. We also um, articulated a much more clear long-term vision, which is to use data to improve people's lives. And it sounds corny, um, but that led us down a path first to provide um, a lot of this data, privacy-protected anonymized data to not-for-profits scientists, academics, researchers to understand the consumer behavior so that can influence uh, government policymaking. It was our data in partnership with Harvard University, a group called Opportunity Insight, that uh, led to, we believe, uh, went to the White House, the cabinet, and Congress that led to decisions around who uh, got the stimulus checks and who didn't. There's a whole body of stuff that this data is very valuable for uh, in terms of policymaking. On the business side, we realized that this data is extremely important because in today's world, unless you have a 360 degree view of consumer behavior, unless you can see what they're doing outside your own stores, outside of your own website, outside of your own interaction with the customer, you're getting a very partial view. Obviously you wanna know, for example, Home Depot may have a customer spending $500 a year with them, but they may be spending $5,000 a year at Lowe's. Um, that's an obvious example where I get a sense of shared wallet of what uh, their customers and prospects are doing outside their own stores. But there's lots of other examples where other categories that are adjacent to the one that the business is in, um, you know, if, if Best Buy wants to sell someone electronics, they would love to know that someone just did a home improvement project because there's a high correlation between someone that does home improvement. So in today's world, um, in the COVID world and beyond, unless there's real-time access to data, to help them with decision-making, both at the individual level, uh, but also an aggregate um, across the enterprise. I mean, it's, it's not just marketing, it's where should I open stores? How, do sh how should I allocate my capital across brick and mortar and e-commerce? Should I invest more in Chicago versus Boston? Because that broader data set gives me a view of how much headroom, I have more headroom in Chicago, more category growth that I can uh, grab. So there's just 
a ton of opportunity that getting real-time access to data becomes such an important part of a retailer's operating model. I think we've seen over the past few years, the rise of data and marketing specifically around how the best marketers are capturing the most data that they can then, you know, make insights from, right? Like that first party data is so critical that it's like almost, you know, a baseline of you have to have this stuff. And actually we've done recent interviews on the show about the fact that there's a lot of marketers who just really don't have a lot of first party data. If you sell through retailers or channels or things like that, like you just don't have it and you're kind of relying on other folks. Is a solution like yours something where, you know, those data science teams are just really excited to be able to get their hands on this type of stuff? I mean, beyond what's just publicly available to have access to this sort of information specifically, like, I mean, everyone wishes they could, they knew what their customers were doing in sales, or they wish that they knew, uh, you know, that, that their customers, uh, or that their competitors, what they were doing in sales and what their competitors were doing, like, oh, hey, you know, every single time that, uh, you know, spring hits, uh, Lowe's does, gets a, gets a bunch of people that come in there to, uh, to do, you know, deck projects or something like that. And Home Depot's like, oh, maybe we should roll out some, you know, a deck, uh, you know, display in the, in the store or something like that. I mean, it seems like everybody would want that, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, the data that we're uh, accessing, which is more than just credit and debit card data, it's all the, call it a purchase graph, what the consumer spend is across retailers, categories, uh, payment devices. It's really a look into into your competitor's cash register. Um, if if uh, I don't know if they're cash registers anymore, but it's you know it's a look into their <laughs> it's a look into their uh, purchases. So imagine being able to have visibility, and we'll get into privacy and so on in a moment, and the rights to do it. But imagine having visibility into your customers' uh, purchases at competitors. Obviously, extremely valuable. And where the first party data is obviously very important, but we're sort of a proxy for first party data. Where the actual purchase behavior of your customers and prospects across uh, retailers and categories. And with Google's decision uh, to deprecate cookies starting in early 2022 and Apple's decision sooner to uh, suppress the IDFAs, the identity for advertisers without consumer opt-in, there's never been a greater need for access to data that's fully permissioned and that acts um, as you know, a, an extension of the first party data that businesses have today. We have a, a belief that we're about to enter into this period of hyper-personalization where consumers are going to, you know, someone's going to tell you, hey, Ian, you got to go check out this incredible experience. If you sign up for this app uh, from Home Depot, when you walk into Home Depot, they recognize you by name, they make product recommendations to you. VR overlays, right? Um, That wave of personalization is coming. And I always tell a story um, at uh, CES in January of 2020, before the world changed. Uh, the first keynote was Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines, who proceeded to walk through all the changes that technology was bringing to Delta Airlines. And uh, obviously, a big chunk of that was in the consumer experience. And as he brought different partners on stage, one of the experiences that was about to launch in, I think, LAX, and I believe in Detroit Airport, was a scenario where two people are, let's say, Jonathan and Ian are standing in front of a billboard. Uh, Ian is seeing only things on that billboard that relate to Ian's flight, Uh, what time you have to be at the gate, um, the restaurant down the terminal that has food that matches your preferences, uh, what the weather is in the destination city, and you're seeing nothing else. I'm standing right next to you, and I see only things related to Jonathan, 
and nothing related to Ian, and we're not wearing special glasses. That idea of personalization of physical spaces and personalization of experience, uh, which was about to launch in Detroit and in LA, is being extended into retail spaces. So uh, where I'm going here is when your buddy tells you to go sign up for that cool app from Home Depot, you will do it. And then what will happen is you will, you will claim your data uh, because it's all about permission. It's all about consumer uh, opt-in. So you will claim your data, which will be all of your card data, your item level data from your store purchases that are attached to your loyalty program, your location data, your Facebook social data. Um, you will then collect it with a couple of clicks into what we call a personal data cloud. And you will then, with a, you know, without a lot of extra effort, will be able to permission or provision that data to the app that your buddy told you about. That idea of personalization, hyper-personalization is going to be a reality for successful businesses um, as we look out in the next, uh, not even three years, even the next 18 months to two years. I think the personalization thing is, is really interesting. I think that the idea that you could walk into to, to Lowe's and it tells you a bunch of stuff about where you're going is fascinating. But I know a lot of marketers are trying to get the person to walk into the store in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and, and I'll just kind of tee this up for you here. There's a lot of different things that you can do with the data. There's a lot of different ways that marketers could look at leveraging something like this. Getting a, a source of truth that is, like you said, this is actually what happened, right? Like this is actually where people are spending their money. Is super valuable. You look at like, you know, how your competitors are doing or just competitive assets, you know, someone doing a remodel of their kitchen, you might think you're competing with that business for Lowe's, but maybe you're actually competing with going on a vacation to Hawaii, right? Like, like, you know what I mean? So um, maybe you need to create some, some marketing messaging around, you know, Hawaii versus your kitchen. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe Hawaiian Airlines needs to, needs to, to figure that out too. But in terms of like, you know, how do we get predictive with this information? Like, what are the things that that marketers are able to do with this, uh, with these type of insights? Well, that's a great question. Look, we we think about it. Um, we call it a purchase graph, uh, which is kind of the building block of everything that we do. Is what was the consumers spending across retailers, categories, payment devices? But it's not just that, it's connecting all the other things that lead to the purchase. So the customer journey or the path to purchase, as they say. Did you walk into Lowe's twice, but then bought at Home Depot? Um, Did you browse a particular item before you bought at Best Buy? Um, That path to purchase is as important as the actual actual purchase itself. So having a source of truth that we have is valuable, but being able to look at the linkages because our data is matchable, it's, it's linkable to other data sets, allows us to really see that journey. Um, you raise a good point that you can talk about customer experience, but you got to get them in the store in the first place. There are certain triggers. There are certain moments of choice that consumers will, will uh, have a window where they're making a decision on where to go, uh, what to buy. And it's, it's because of our ability to get the consumer to say, yes, you can, you can track my data because I'm getting really valuable personalized experiences and great value. Uh, and then in tracking that customer's behavior, being able to deliver just the right experience at the right time. The example I gave before, when you uh, do a home improvement project, you're much more likely within a very limited time to go buy an electro- electronics uh, purchase. So there are certain triggers, certain predictors that if you knew that, you'd be able to communicate with that customer at just the right moment. So then I guess the next question is, do they know that? Like, do 
marketers know that stuff now? Is it in their hands? hands right now, the people that you're working with, are they, do you think that there's an absence of information here? Is it that they have the information that they don't know how to make it actionable? Like where, where's the issue uh, for why folks aren't leveraging things like this? Well, what you just articulated is, is really what drives our mission. Our mission is to provide that visibility to businesses that they don't have today. They, they, they don't. I mean, obviously it's getting worse if, if you want to say an inability to track starting in early 2022 via cookies, the consumer's digital behavior online yeah, and the, and the inability to uh, track the consumer's footfall activity where they're walking because of Apple's decision to not allow consumers to be tracked. Yep. It's not just the location data. It's more broad, broadly than that, but that's a big part of it is a massive change. I mean, those are structural changes. And then when you look at that and then you look at the changes in privacy regulations, that uh, consumers have to have control of their own data. Uh, it's been the wild, wild west out there. So our mission is having one, one view of the business where they absolutely need to have more visibility outside their own activity than they do today. There are major, major blind spots, but also at the consumer where their data is being used in a way that gives the business that visibility, but that gives them tremendous value in return. Um, and that's where this personal data cloud comes in that I described earlier. It's Ian Faison's data. It's Jonathan Silver's data. And uh, we, have, we have the personal data cloud sitting in what we call a personal operating system. I'm going back to the consumer now, where um, there are consent management tools, privacy controls, that you direct the use of that data. And then there's AI machine learning around that because you're not going to want to spend your time saying, I want this data to go to this app and this data to go to that app, that without the data ever leaving, that data can be accessed by businesses who can better serve you if you were to make the decision to give them permission um, to access just the data they need through this thing we're calling the personal OS or personal operating system. So uh, I'm giving you a framework of the future, but the answer to your question is that most businesses have a very incomplete view of their customer activity because they're only looking at the slice of that behavior that's within their own stores or on their own websites. Yeah, it's a great point. It's so obvious, right, (laughs) when you hear it. That it's like, of course, you don't have a complete view of your customer if you're only looking at what they do with you, right? And well, and I think that part of the thing that I guess I struggle with is is this idea that like all of your purchase data is inherently rear view looking, right? And and it's the goal of the marketer to be the chief market officer. You need to understand the market. You need to understand why people are buying, where they're going to buy, why they're going to buy. And you need, and your campaigns that you're planning are for, you know, whatever, 24 months out, um, if you have a job that long. Uh, but, but that's the plan, right? Is, is, you know, sales is looking at this month, the sales uh, director is looking at this quarter, uh, you know, your CRO is looking at this year and your CMO is looking at two years out. Um, and so if you have all of this backward looking data, it can potentially be extremely predictive if you're, if you're looking at the market broadly. And that's what's so exciting to me about, about this is you cannot just look at what your company is doing, what your messaging is doing, what your sales team is doing. You can look at the market broadly and say, this is how people are spending their money on this market. And that's really exciting. Yeah. It shows capacity, right? Um, it shows how much, I mean, Someone who's living, a single person living in the city just out of college is going to have less capacity to spend 
than someone with five kids who's been uh, presumably uh, had increases in their income over the years and has disposable uh, dollars to, to spend, right? So capacity is a big part of it. Um, but you also raise another good point that the backwards looking view, which is what they did, there's tools that wrap around. I mentioned machine learning. Uh, we have a platform, not to throw yet another name out there, but we have a platform called Panorama. Panorama is the environment where all this data sits. Um, we call it Panorama because it represents the 360 degree view of a consumer's activity and behavior. But within Panorama are these tools that take the backwards looking behavior and turn it into forward looking predictive decisioning, right? Uh, which then determines you know, how they should treat that customer. So if I look at the pandemic, right? Because that was a whole major shift in consumer behavior. There was a hole punched in the uh, source of data, even though first party data has always been limited. Imagine, you know, March, April, May of 2020, when all of a sudden people just stopped walking into your stores and maybe depending on the business stopped uh, or changed their behavior on their website. Having that view is almost essential. You, you, you're flying blind. So um, if you look at the pandemic and you look at the businesses that have been successful, uh, we can talk about the Affinity 50, which is the the 50 businesses that we've determined over the course of the nine month period, starting when the pandemic happened in 2020 compared, uh, we looked at their behavior compared to of their customers compared to the same period in 2019. The characteristics of those businesses is they were highly data centric. They invested in decisioning tools that could act on the data that they were picking up from other sources to better serve their customer. To be fair, the first wave of survival in March, April, May, June, was a re a lot of the businesses had to kind of redefine their marketing and their customer experience to demonstrate a degree of empathy with consumer concern for safety. But soon after that, as we got into the latter part of 2020, it became about using data to inform the decisions. And the more data that businesses have, the more views outside their own stores, the more successful they were in serving their customers. Yeah. So yeah, talk talk through the uh, Affinity 50. Yeah. So we we took. Um, of our 90 million cardholders, we have 90 million consumers every day. We get their purchase data uh, representing their purchases from the day before, a few that straggle in from the day before that or the day before that. But basically, we're getting a real-time feed of consumer behavior. We took out of that 90 million, about 7.2 million cardholders that were highly correlated their behavior with the rest of the U.S. consumer economy. So it really reflected the real world. Um, we took that group and we looked at their behavior from March through December of 2020 and compared it to the behavior of those same people in March to December of 2019. And we identified the top 50 performing brands in terms of resilience and growth. We call that the Affinity 50. The ones that really uh, you know, rose to the top, we saw uh, in the grocery category, Publix. We mentioned Lowe's Home Improvement. They did extremely well. Um, Target, AT&T. Um, a lot of them succeeded because of what I said before, early on in the pandemic, they changed their operating models. Um, there were QSRs like McDonald's uh, and others that you know, made sure that they represented, not just in their marketing, but in their consumer experience, that the food wouldn't be touched by human hands. And you know, when everyone was kind of freaking out, they did, they did everything right to show empathy and show concern for consumers, uh, obviously a big focus on safety. Uh, I think it was Pizza Hut and Papa John's uh, changed their whole delivery model. Obviously, they, they always did home delivery, but they changed their model so that no human hands touched the pizza uh, before it got delivered to the customer's home. You could order the pizza to the front door, the side door, the back door, so they personalized the delivery experience. 
they delivered it. I think it was uh, Papa John's on a little disposable throne. You know, so they really they they really changed their whole operating model. But they also many of them, not all of them, but many of them embedded data into their uh, into their uh, decision making on a near real time basis. You know, another example. Um, there was the uh, Popeyes, which had a really a, a good success in 2019 uh, when they introduced their chicken sandwich, which led to the chicken sandwich wars. Oh, yeah. And somehow I've become, as a result of uh, reporting on this, I've become the expert on the chicken sandwich wars, which is something I had never expected. But anyway, we saw in our data, which is really, really interesting, that McDonald's was losing share. Um, and they weren't sure to whom they were losing share. We were able to go in and see that it wasn't the usual suspects. It wasn't Burger King and it wasn't Wendy's, other burger restaurants, it was Popeye's. And the reason was uh, Popeye's introduced the chicken sandwich. And for whatever reason, McDonald's customers, in particular, I think millennials, found that product very appealing and defected. So what did McDonald's do with the insight from our data? And this was through, I mentioned Affinity has, is the purchase insights partner for Deloitte and Accenture and Bain and McKinsey who rely on our data to help their clients make important decisions. What they did is they ultimately introduced the chicken sandwich more recently, but they could also use, with the privacy controls around it, they could use those insights to target their marketing. So we have a, a set of products that are derived from the actual truth data sets that can predict whether someone is likely, going backwards, going into Popeyes. And in the QSR category, if you go in a, a lot to a restaurant, you're probably continuing to go in on a regular basis in the, in the near future. So we were able to target, help uh, McDonald's to target their marketing and advertising through programmatic uh, digital advertising and through these digital platforms like Trade Desk and Amobi and others uh, to target their advertising to people likely going to Popeyes who happen to be millennials in the cities where they were getting hit the hardest. Um, and then lastly, able to connect the dots uh, from their digital advertising to see, did these people that I advertised to, did they actually get off, off their couches and go into McDonald's and eat or order in through Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash. And um, we can connect the dots between those digital IDs that um, the advertising agencies are able to, uh, when, they, when they identify the target segments for their ads, we're able to map that back to our purchase data to see, did it actually work and give real time, near real time reporting to show which combination of creative and audience and offer and publisher and timing and frequency and the dozens of other variables that go into today's digital and TV marketing. Um, and in a very rapid way to optimize the allocation of those marketing budgets to those combinations of those variables that yielded the best results. Um, so it's that end to end, we call it insights to action that characterizes those businesses that are in the Affinity 50. I love that, this is great. Chicken Wars. Look at you. Uh, the man named uh, the man named John Silver uh, is is the chicken war guy. Who knew? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Long John Silver's is a seafood restaurant, so that does create a little bit of uh, dissonance, right? I know. That's what I was. I know. Um, I'm sure you've heard that a million times. That's why. I, that's why I always say I'm Jonathan Silver, so they don't make the meat. But you're yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, the people have made that connection, um, and the the joke is in my family that I'm now the chicken sandwich expert, uh, something that I you know, certainly hadn't, wasn't thinking I'd put on my resume. So this is, it, it really is, um, it's such a fascinating insight because so often 
exactly what, and I, I mentioned this earlier, we don't know where we're losing market share, right? And we don't know if our campaigns are working and we don't know the whole chicken wars thing. I mean, it's a huge deal for, for, for those teams. I mean, it was really, want to talk about like earned media. I mean, I have no, I don't know if you have any information on that, but like the amount of earned media that the chicken wars got was freaking massive. I mean, I can't even imagine. And I'd imagine that, uh, and I don't know if you have this, but I'd imagine that Chick-fil-A probably saw a, a, a pretty massive uptick in the sales of their chicken sandwich too, because of uh, how much, how, you know, fervent their fans are and, and, and people trying and, you know, testing both and trying to see which one's better. I, you know, I have not actually went and tested either, but, uh, we've kind of been avoiding fast food for a little while and in, <laughs> in, in the phase on household. So, um, yeah, that's fascinating. It is. And you're, you're right. The whole category got lifted up, you know, the, the, uh, you're right. The earned media was definitely a big factor in it. And candidly, you know, Popeye's chicken, you know, people really like it. I mean, if the food's not good, they're not going to come back again. So you better have a good product. Uh, all of that buzz lifted the category and started to shift what we call the share of stomach. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, from uh, from burgers to chicken. And now McDonald's has their product. Uh, so they're right, right in there with the rest of them. Well, and, yeah. And as you said, I mean, so Popeye's is, as someone who spent a lot of time in the South, um, Popeye's is extremely popular. I mean, it's like very uh, undersold how there's a lot of people who are like, if I'm going to eat fried chicken, I'm only going to eat Popeye's, um, Louisiana style and all that. So, so it makes sense. But, you know, as for the marketers who are listening, I'm sure that what they always wonder with these sort of things is like, did our campaign work, right? What is the ROI on our campaign? That's what they're asked all the time, right? But what an insight to say, is our competitor's campaign working? Because if your campaign, if your competitor's campaign is working, and if they're getting ROI, then there's something about their positioning that they're doing right and you're doing wrong. Yeah. And there's a, there is data that can be mapped within Panorama. It's consumer behavior, but there is data out there that can literally map, you know, every single ad that a, a competitor uh, or even adjacent businesses ran and start to look at the behavior of people in those markets where those ads ran as a proxy for how successful their campaigns are. And by the way, I have to say this because you made a, a reference to the uh, how long a CMO may be in the in their job. I, I believe that as we're entering into this renaissance of consumer hyper-personalization of uh, shopping experiences and the use of data to inform decision-making, that the role of the CMO has never been more critical than ever. And what we're seeing in, in these successful businesses, by the way, I just checked, Chick-fil-A was one of the top performers uh, in the, t- in the uh, QSR category for the Affinity 50. So there you go. You got it. You, you were right. Um, what I was saying is that the it's now no longer just the marketing function. It's the whole enterprise. And this may be academic for those businesses that have, have gone here, but it's real estate. It's where do I open stores? Where do I close stores? It's uh, merchandising. What products should I sell? How should they be priced? How should they be displayed? Uh, all relying on real-time data. It's store operations. It's supply chain. It's uh, customer experience, obviously. And it's you know, certainly marketing, but it's not only marketing. And I think what's happened is the CMO's role has become much more central, much more strategic. And as long as um, the CMO is embedding into their function, uh, which I'm sure anyone who's out there is, uh, in their department, in their group, data-driven functionality, and obviously we're, we're working with a number of CMOs to support that, their job uh, is going to be la- last a long time. They'll become very central. They're... Um, CEO's reliance on the CMO 
and the opportunity for the CMO to be a significant influence has never been greater. Well, and it's it's tools like yours that that allow that to happen, right? Because back in the day, you know, like the you know, the Mad Men sort of idea, the 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 people that are just you know coming up with spinning these creative campaigns, you know, I, we've seen agencies take uh, a huge hit, you know, over the recent years, like the mega agencies that are that are doing a lot of those type of creative things, you know, got to have the data. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I find it hard to believe that the most data-driven marketers 10 years from now are not going to all be the CMOs. Um, now, you need to pair that with like exceptional creative for sure, but I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see how you could work it the other way. Yeah. I mean, even if you look, uh, you know, Martin Sorrell, who was the head of uh, WPP for a lot of years, left somewhat unceremoniously, but then launched uh, his organization s uh, three, I think it's called. And even WP, even the guy who started WPP and ran it is now essentially organized his holding company, which last I saw was worth a, a billion dollars or so, uh, where he's acquired companies. Even the content assets that are owned by that uh, new agency that he's running is all being run algorithmically, right? It's, it's um, you know, yes, it's great creative works, but the ability to do that, you know, A-B testing rapidly, we, we have a a product we call Purchase Signals that comes out of this Panorama platform. And Purchase Signals is basically, if I if I have in a machine learning engine, all of the different configurations of creative and audience in a programmatic world, the audience that I'm targeting, the websites or apps that I'm advertising on, call that the publishers, um, the timing, time of the day, how frequent they're, all of the variables that go into that, that in the old days, you used to have a direct, it's be called direct marketing, and you'd have a test matrix. Well, now you can't really do that. It's got to be done by a machine. It's too many variables. Imagine being able to capture in near real time purchase signals that can be fed into a machine learning engine that can then optimize the allocation of budgets to that combination of creative and offer and publisher and audience and all those variables that are working in near real time. Um, it doesn't mean that creative isn't important. It just means that you should be able to do rapid test and learn. It's it's what used to be called A-B testing. It's A-B-C-D-E-F-G-H-I-J-K testing because you're, you're testing all these variables simultaneously so that, and particularly important in a post-COVID world, that marketing spending is getting the return on investment that the finance department is expecting. So if you were to be forward-looking and to say, okay, we know that over the next year, people are going to travel a ton more, right? They're gonna, we know everybody's itching to go on vacation. So if you were a airline, for example, and you were to say, we know that we're going to have a window here where people are buying tickets, how would they use uh, Affinity Solutions to try to figure out like, okay, what's the right time? What's the right uh, message? Where should we putting, be putting this? Like, is it, is it something where kind of similar to like, you know, even the stock market or something like that, where you see the first blips of, of people starting to make those type of transactions. And then you're like, okay, the time is now it's time to dump marketing dollars. And you're talking specifically about travel companies or? Well, I, I just, I'm using that as an example, as something like leaning forward into the future. We, we know you could surmise that that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So there's, there is both macro and micro predictors of future behavior um, that are are kind of leverage points where you could certainly see behaviors that are happening in the broader economy macro 
And then there's individual behaviors that are triggers for future behaviors. So let me start with the macro. I mean, what we've noticed, even uh, surprising, um, every month we're consulted when the Census Bureau releases their MRTS or monthly retail trade survey, because that data, which is a reflection of the prior month's uh, purchase activity, only goes so far, right? It only shows, you know, how, uh, spend by category relative to the prior months and the prior year. Uh, our data can slice and dice it in many other ways, including uh, by generation, by household income, et cetera. And what, we've, what we saw is that surprisingly that in February when the data was released and we did a deep dive on it, on the affinity data, that the people that started to spend were not the older people that had gotten vaccinated because they were the first to get vaccinated. It was actually the younger generations that were, that were driving the increase. And the good news is that there's a whole nother wave of spend that's going to happen as older people get more comfortable. They're just, the psychographics are different, right? Even though they got vaccinated, they're just nervous. Um, their behavior uh, obviously is more risk averse uh, despite uh, the vaccine. So that's the, that's the kind of example where they're probably not going to get on planes right away. Yep. So you pick that up in the macro as an example of a macro trend. Um, on a micro trend, there's all kinds of examples. And I'll, I'll stay with um, travel since you brought it up. When we look at a consumer's behavior, and it will all come back to consumer permission, if I can see that you book something on Expedia, then I can market a hotel, right? I mean, so there's, you know, that's, that's sort of the immediate obvious thing of I book, I book an airline ticket and I will need a hotel to stay in and I may need a car. But it's, there's a whole bunch of signals that you can pick up in the data that can be a leading indicator or predictor for um, future spend. And that can help with supply chain, how much inventory you have and are uh, willing to invest in so you're ready, so you don't have empty store shelves like we saw in supermarkets in 2020 when the pandemic first started to rage. Um, so you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a whole bunch of uh, analytic triggers that um, the machine learning platforms out there with the right data inputs uh, can predict. And by the way, just to stay with the travel example, so now that you know, and now you know what we're seeing is sort of this experiential model, where if I'm an airline or I'm a hotel, I don't just want to deliver uh, a really good experience on my flight, or I don't just want to have a great um, experience in a, in a hotel room. I want to look at holistically at the consumer's travel experience end to end. So we're, ex we're seeing experiences like, okay, I see something that says this person's about to travel. Now I'm going to engage them. I'm first with the airport experience. So the person's running to the airport uh, and I'm going to hit them with, in the moment, with an ability to order food in advance at one of the restaurants on the air airport, because usually people are running late. They don't want to wait online. We'll have it ready for you. We'll give you a great deal. Um, you go, you go uh, on the flight, you end up in your destination city, and we're going to make recommendations that people that look like Ian go back 82% of the time to these restaurants. So we're going to recommend those restaurants. We're going to recommend these retailers, recommend these uh, entertainment venues and sporting events, because um, that personalization of a travel experience is going to make you very, very loyal to Delta or whoever sponsors that experience or very loyal to Hyatt or whoever is the one that holistically helps you with your end-to-end -end travel. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing in the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. Salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Jonathan, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, after this is all over and said and done, where are you going to go visit first? Where's your vacation spot? Well, I have to say, uh, I am loyal to this one destination spot in Antigua called Blue Waters, because when I went there, it was during the pandemic. 
I want to go back because when I walked in, they upgraded me not to a nicer room or even a suite. They upgraded me to a compound, literally, <laughs> with like three or four buildings, two pools. Not just me. It was my wife and my kids, but uh, I've never had that happen. So I'm quite loyal to them. And that's where I'm going to go. If you could have one person on the podcast, who would it be? Uh, I'd like to interview Elon Musk. I mean, I, I think that, you know, if you talk to most scientists, they would say that Elon Musk, uh, out of all the greats, Steve Jobs and, you know, Bezos and everybody else, he's the one that's going to make the biggest mark on science. And I'm all about wanting to emulate and making changes that will persist and last long after I'm gone. If you weren't in marketing, if you weren't in data, if you weren't in business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? If I wasn't in business at all, I'd probably be a scientist. I'd probably like to experiment. Um, I, I guess my DNA is to be a creator. So if I can't apply my creativity in business, I'd want to apply creativity in the world of science. Do you have a best piece of advice for a first-time CEO? Focus. I mean, I you know the, the many mistakes that I've made, I'd like to say it was a smooth ride, uh, was because my intellectual curiosity translated into a dilution of focus. Uh, and today, our focus is all about leveraging data to improve people's lives and to help businesses build deeper relationships with consumers so they can become healthier and retain and grow their market share. What's next for Affinity? Well, um, you know, for us, uh, we have this vision of a personal operating system. We think that uh, this is the unique window in history and in time where the consumer can finally take control of their data and to uh, decide where and when they want to make it available. And we think it's going to be beyond commerce. I know we've talked only about commerce, but personalized health and medicine, um, being able to look not just at your, you know, what you do with your purchases, but look at your, with permission, um, your medical records, your DNA records, your biometrics, and make recommendations on nutrition and exercise and sleep and stress management to prevent uh, bad things from happening. And education. Um, I think in the next five years, you know, the educational system will make what we're doing today look prehistoric. It'll be personalized education uh, tied to young adults and children's aptitudes and interests. Awesome. Jonathan, great having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, you can go to affinity.solutions to learn more. Uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? No, and just for clarity, that or affinitysolutions.com. And I would say, uh, no, just, uh, you know, if there's anything we can do to help, and support your journey uh, to use broad data sets to make better decisions, feel free to reach out to me at jsilver at affinitysolutions.com uh, and I'd be happy to help. Thanks so much, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.